Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. I don't know if we've talked since Thanksgiving. Did we record a show after Thanksgiving? We recorded with Andrew. Yo, that's right, that's right. Yeah, but we didn't get to talk very much. We didn't do any shucking and jiving. That's right. After Thanksgiving, I actually got a little sick this last Monday. I woke up in the morning and took my son to school and I could still taste Chinese food from the night before, even though mm. I had brushed my teeth the night before and that morning. And I started feeling sick to my stomach and I laid down and I woke up at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> still like feeling terrible. So I think I, I got a little, I, didn't, I don't know. I never really got sick. I felt like I had a little bit of a fever and felt sick to my stomach, but just kind of slept through all of it. Been slowly recovering since then. We had to take my son to the emergency room. Oh no. On Thanksgiving day. <laughs> Why? So, like, we don't have any family close by. I mean, and I don't know if you've met me, but we definitely don't have any friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 the young kids thing. you got to find other people with kids of the same age or they just don't get it when you have to cancel all the time. <laughs> Alice was feeling sick, so we were, we were going to meet up with friends, but we couldn't go and do anything because we didn't want to go get, like, infected and infect anybody else or anything like that. That's the best part about being sick. Well, and we have a two-week-old at the time oh yeah that's true and so andrew was dealing with the baby and i was in there trying to cook food and then all of a sudden i just hear this massive thump like i thought the tv fell off the wall or somebody knocked over like a bookshelf or something and then just a lot of screaming and i ran downstairs and my three-year-old was on the floor i was like what happened and my daughter was like he fell off the couch so he was jumping on the couch (laughs) (laughs) translation they were playing battle as they described it Uh (laughs) and she pushed him off the couch (laughs) perfect but he landed on his head and so he split his head open like on the back of his head so we had to go get stitches he was losing it but we still managed to cook all of thanksgiving dinner wow you guys are troopers i mean what else were we going to do at that point that's true he just laid there the rest of the day in pain we were like we're really sorry kid we don't we don't have anything for you I'm sure you have a headache. (laughs) Yeah, just kept an eye on him and then made food all day. Yeah, how many stitches did he end up with? I think five. Oh, man. I think five. Man. I don't remember. It was a lot of stitches. And head wounds, no matter how small they are, bleed a lot. Yeah. (laughs) It was a sight. It was an interesting ordeal. Well, that's that's fun. So then a couple days after Thanksgiving, you started doing the Advent of Code stuff, right? Yeah, I've been doing Advent of Code. I do that. This is about where I quit every year. (laughs) get busy but i like advent of code advent of code is cool it is pretty neat that guy who does that puts in quite a bit of time i did it one year about four or five days in this year i was planning on doing it and then wasn't feeling well the first the first two days i couldn't do right away and then the third day i was exhausted and now i just feel overwhelmed like i need to go back and do those but then catch up is feels overwhelming if you miss a single one it does feel like it's real hard to catch up depending on where you're at you know i think there are the right amount of difficult i would say right they're the correct difficulty level at least for me where i'm at right now cuz i think at this point i've spent somewhere between 15 minutes and an hour ish on each one. Oh yeah, that's not bad. That's the right amount of time. And But they force me to think about stuff. And in a lot of cases, when I spend more time, it's because I'm trying to optimize a solution or take a ON squared algorithm down to an ON algorithm or something like that. I noticed that when I did it before was that a lot of them can be solved very easily with a bad algorithm. <laughs> that's the thing. A lot of them can be solved expediently 
but they run really slow because a lot of the, the solutions are like, we'll just loop over this thing three times and find the thing that you need or, you know, whatever. And they give you really big inputs. So if you've got a slow algorithm, you notice it. I also like that it has a, a storyline with it. I think it keeps it interesting. It's a very cute story. Right. And every year there's a different one. So it's really nice. But the like the Euler problems are pretty fun to go do sometimes. But because they're just some math problems after a little while, I get really bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, done. I've had those recommended and obviously I'm familiar with them, but I've never done those. A lot of them, it's like you can write an algorithm that will go over this giant list of things and come up with an answer and it'll take three days. Or if you go look up sequences in series, you have a little like X squared minus one will give you the exact same answer <laughs> and you don't need to cycle through the list. So I don't know. A lot of those come down to very simple problems if you are willing to put in the time to look up the math versus just trying to algorithm your way through it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been watching the live streams that Jose has been doing, and those are really fun. I have never really gotten into Twitch. No judgment against people who get into Twitch. I don't watch sports either. <laughs> you know, I don't even really watch TV that much. But the Twitch thing, I think I'm about three to four years too old to get Twitch and like just instinctively get it. Did you just say you're old? No, I just mean that I, I think I missed the I think I missed the window by about that amount of time like it was it was a short it's a small amount of time but it, it's you know three to four years is enough to where it feels just a little bit weird but watching Jose do it's been really fun and I get it now I, I'm like oh right yeah I totally understand why this would be appealing because you are kind of like just having this weird unidirectional but not conversation with like chat it's weird i like twitch for things like that the whole watching people play video games is not up my alley but i have some friends that worked there or do work there and they watch video games on there and they're my age or older do you never do that though you never go over to a friend's house and play a game and just it'd be a one-player game but you would just sit and talk to each other while somebody played oh yeah you ever do that yeah yeah, I think it's more or less the same thing, except for less social, right? I'm at my friend's house. I can go grab a sandwich or take over for a little bit or or actually like have a conversation with him where on Twitch, I, I really can't. I don't know if I agree with that because I think it's social in a totally different way because like chat is often talking to it themselves like they're talking on their own. That's true. They're being social while watching you play a video game. It's more like it's more like three friends go over to a to a friend's house and then they all talk in the background while he plays a game. I mean, we're, we're well out of our depth and also completely correct for podcasts, which is we're two white dudes talking about a thing we don't really understand and then explaining it to people. But like... <laughs> and it's a very elixir and Erlang on topic, right? Yeah, exactly. I forgot we were going to talk about something today. Was it like a Christmas wish list or something? That was the main topic that we discussed. I did the homework. I don't know if you did the homework. We should explain the home. We should explain the idea. I'm going to say this first. I didn't write anything down, but I have some things in my head. But some of them, they're like a pie in the sky, never going to happen wish list. Some things maybe at the beginning of Elixir could have been changed, but probably will never be changed. That is now. okay. Here was my rubric. Here's how we sort of set the stage. We thought it would be fun to come up with a list of just things that we'd like to see in Elixir or in the community. And I want to make very clear that, you know, for me at least, a lot of these things have been discussed before. 
and tossed out for whatever reason. And in a lot of cases, like they're really good reasons. There's a reason these things didn't end up, but there's still things that, I, you know, for me, it's like, oh, I wish that that would happen. I want to also make this really clear. They're not criticisms and they're not feature requests like, hey, please, somebody go do this. It's more like this would be really cool. And these are things that I might work on or like I might personally build a library to do. Or in some cases, they're things I'm already working on. And then the final thing I didn't specify this for anybody else, but this is something I did, which is I wanted to kind of come up with stuff that I feel like people maybe aren't talking about in the same way that if you're like, hey, name your five favorite albums that nobody's heard about. Like it's cheating to say in the airplane over the sea. Like you're not allowed to you're not allowed to use the indie album that everybody's heard of. <laughs> I've never heard of it. I'm, I'm too old. I'll send I'll send you a link later anyway. But yeah, you're not allowed to pick the thing that everybody knows. Like you can't say like, oh, the thing I wish was an elixir is a better type system. Like it's like, OK, everybody's said that. That's not interesting. Or, oh, it'd be really cool if releases were built into mix. It's like, no, that doesn't. One of my top ones, you're, you're going to be like everybody wants. That's that. fine. That's for you. That was a me personal thing. I don't want to bring up the stuff that everybody's already brought up. You thought way more about this yeah, than I did. Because I do the homework. Well, yeah. The show is better when we prepare. <laughs> that That's true. So you start. So I start. Okay. Thing. These are in no particular order. Just just to be clear, any of these that we give, well, maybe you might give yours in an order, but mine are, are in no particular order. So I've been working with IO module a lot because I'm building a shell lately. And I really wish that like IO.gets could take in an option for the type that it returns because it returns car data, which means that it can be a car list. It can be a string or it can be a list of lists of strings or car lists. And it depends on io.setups, uh, colon io.setups, the, the actual Erlang. You can set that to be binary, which will give you strings. Or I think the default is actually a car list. And that's like a global setting for the io for the specific process you're in. So it would be nice if I could just pass in an option at the io.gets itself but then you know erlang has a hidden call it's get pass i think or get pass w i don't remember it's not actually documented but it's in the io module that will allow you to do like a password field in the shell so that it doesn't display the output of what's being typed so it wouldn't work with that it would work with io gets but it wouldn't work with the hidden one which is kind of frustrating so maybe maybe also an io get password or an io gets with visible false would be super cool some options to pass in at the call site instead of some crazy global that has to be possible now because hex does that like when you push a hex package you have to put your password in or whatever and it yep. it already hides the output i wonder what it's doing well they might be using that or somebody was saying that there's like a trick going on where they actually just backspace the output as soon as you put it in and then they ignore the backspaces in the input or something i don't know oh interesting it would also be cool if I could do a get for a single character without having the user have to hit a return. Let's let's add that in. I just added that. I, these are just like IO changes all together because in doing the shell, you know, sometimes you want to have like hit Y to continue or something like that or in for next and you don't want them to have to hit return every time or to even show them the output. And so it would be nice if I could just do a single character. There is a way to say get me a character, but it still doesn't actually do anything until you hit return, which can be really frustrating. I feel like there's something for that. I feel like yeah, there's probably some way to do that. I found some stuff online that is like write a port oh. <laughs> or a NIF <laughs> to actually handle it. I guess that's that is a that's a living. <laughs> you could you could choose yep. to do that. <laughs> Maybe I should make a library that has that port or NIF built into. Hey, there you go. I do think that the um, 
IO gets with an option to be visible or not is probably something that could easily be put into core if somebody made the suggestion. It seems to me like a reasonable thing caveated with, I have no idea what repercussions that could have. Yeah, I, I don't either. I haven't dug in and looked at that, but I basically locally have a function that does that and it just either calls out to io.gets or colon io dot whatever. I think it's get pass. I don't remember. I'll have to look that up. So yeah, there's lots of hidden gems in Erling too that are not documented if you want to go read the code. Thanks to Michael Schmidt for pointing that function out to me, which he found by reading code. There's, you know how there's always money in the banana stand? There's always more functions in Erlang. <laughs> there's always some other thing in Erlang. That was a good reference. That's kind of a deep reference. I don't feel like that's a deep reference. I think so. I think it's not one of the ones that everybody's going to reach to for that. Andrew was showing me the other day that there's a there's a balanced tree module in Erlang. I didn't know about that. A balanced tree module? I didn't either. I'm writing this down. That just like exists. It'll balance a tree for you, like you pass a tree in. You know, it's like how digraph is like built in. Yeah, don't tell anybody, but there's also an array module. Shh. I'm going to take that and I'm going to hop on it like a segue and, and and talk about one of my things, which is I really would like to revisit the topic of bringing vectors or having a decent uh, vector implementation in Elixir. And I don't mean arrays, although the Erlang array, I actually don't know how the Erlang arrays are implemented under the hood. But what I'm hoping for is the equivalent of closures vectors. So what's the difference between a vector and an array? So specifically, the way we need to do it in Elixir is to base them on hash array map tries, as is everything these days. Hamped. Yeah, the hamped is always the answer. I think it would be really interesting because I actually think, generally speaking, I don't know, I think lists are kind of a garbage data structure. They're fine in certain cases, but they really start to fall down when you have a lot of stuff in them, right? When doing searching is bad. They're really inefficient. They don't give you a lot of power. Vectors solve a lot of those problems, especially immutable structural sharing vectors like closure has. And there's actually a, I think this was before the forum even, there's like an old mailing list thread that's probably like two or three years old now about better support for vectors and arrays in Elixir. And that thread is, in my mind, not super useful. I think that a lot of people didn't understand what the original poster was asking for because they were coming from a closure background and saying vectors are really useful. And the zeitgeist of Elixir, who was on the mailing list at the time, was basically saying, we don't need those. We have lists. It's better. You don't you don't know anything about functional programming with immutable data to this person. And the person like correspondingly was not super nice in their responses. And then it really more devolved into an argument about, I don't like you in the way you're talking to me, so I'm going to reject your proposal out of hand. It didn't go well. In any case, the main actual real argument was that if you supported arrays or vectors, how would you pattern match on them? And it would be kind of surprising to be able to pattern match on lists, but not be able to pattern match on vectors, let's say, when vectors and lists are seemingly analogous in terms of what you may or may not use them for. But I think at this point, we have plenty of evidence to support that not every new interesting data structure needs to be able to be pattern matched, like map sets. I use map sets all the time, and there's really no good way to do pattern matching on map sets. I actually think there's a pretty compelling case to have access to vectors because they're much more efficient. They've got a lot of interesting properties in the way that they can compose. I don't know that that needs to be a core thing, and I don't know that we need to just support arrays, although maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm potentially going to build a library to do that. That's on my list. On Twitch? Uh, yeah, I'll stream it on Twitch. And maybe maybe do property testing. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe we'll get to our property testing thing. That's not on my list. I don't see that on the wish list. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a thing I want to take a look at at some point. That would be pretty interesting. 
I just want to say now that we brought up Twitch thing again is that I think Jose doing the advent of code on Twitch is really awesome and good for the community. And I know Michal has has done some some stuff like that too. I think that having that out there, first of all, makes those guys more approachable to people in the community and it makes the community more inviting. I think it would be awesome if more people were there doing that. Streaming or streaming them coding. I think it also shows that, you know, it's it's not like they sit there and they just have all the answers immediately either, which also makes other people feel way more comfortable whenever they're sitting there staring at a problem and thinking, I don't even know. <laughs> so so I'll add that to my wish list. More people showing off code on Twitch. Unpracticed code. Just go in and do it. Letting it ride. It's one thing if you've implemented that thing 15 times and then you go on Twitch and you're like, hey, check out how fast I can do this, how smart I am. It's got to be pretty high pressure to get on there and then one, have to think about the problem, two, have to read chat and interact with chat, and then three, actually come up with a solution all at the same time. Yeah. It's got to be pretty tough. It's like live coding at a conference. Yeah, but it's like even worse of an idea. (laughs) People get to hear your kids in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Your son screaming because your daughter shoved him off the couch. She felt so bad for that. She was so protective of him for the rest of the day. I was going to ask if she babied him. Oh, yeah. It was bad. Can I bring you a drink? Would you like something to eat? When he got home, he was like super worn out. At one point, once he finally woke up a couple hours later, they were going downstairs and she was trying to help him get downstairs. And as they were walking downstairs, he's like, hey, um, can you not push me off the couch next time? (laughs) (laughs) She just turned and looked at me. And then looked back at him and then looked back at me and just started crying. It was heartbreaking. So he wasn't trying. No, no, not at all. He was serious. (laughs) (laughs) That poor guy. Oh, it's bad. It was bad. Uh, I feel for him. So next on my list, I know there would be concessions if we had this, but I would really love to be able to call a passed in function without dot parent. Oh, man. That's a deep cut. That's going way back. Well, you know, I really... Okay, so (laughs) this is something I run into every once in a while, and it's just slightly annoying to me. But I also really like having parentheses optional. And I know if you did that, with parentheses being optional, it's really hard to then pass a function, because then that function would be the only type that wouldn't have parentheses optional. And so you would have to make parentheses required. Basically, I don't know which one I would like or dislike more. I haven't thought about that one in a long time because I've just internalized it at this point. I haven't considered that in a while. Here's the reason why. You ready for this? Oh, yeah. Hit me with it. Because I really, this is actually on my list somewhere else, but I think it almost requires the first one. So this is a twofer is what you're saying. We need this first. Well, no, it doesn't actually require it, I guess. It doesn't. It's just when I'm working in that area, I think about it. Lay it on me. I would really like a simpler way to compose functions. I would like to be able to say, define a function as this function plus that function without worrying about anything else. You've been doing Haskell is what this comes down to. Is that what that does? (laughs) I've looked at your Haskell code and it's just all point free dots friggin' everywhere. (laughs) I don't mean to. I'm just like, I ran into the compose operator and was like, whoa, mind blown using this. I'm going to make sure I figure this out. You're deep into Haskell at this point, (laughs) except you're not deep enough to realize like how completely unreadable it is for anyone who wasn't you. (laughs) 
Just wait till you learn about all the other symbols that you can use. Just wait till you find the lens package in Haskell. I saw somebody had dollar sign. Dollar sign just means evaluate the right side before the left side. Compositions happen in the opposite direction of what you think that they do in Haskell. So you use a dollar sign to break that so you can read it without putting parens around everything. So yeah, I've run into a few places where I'm like, dang it, if I could just add that function to that function simply. And it's not like it's hard to do that. Creating partials is a thing that I wish was a little bit easier. Composing those partials is a thing that I wish was a little bit easier. But I mean, it's it's hard. You need so many other supporting things to be able to do that. Or at least like the ergonomics of that start to necessitate like auto-occurring. You start to need these other ergonomic things. And they have trade-offs too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, blame the beam, I think, for that one. Got to care about arity. That's how you know you're screwed because you have to care about arity. The fact that you have to care about arity at all means that you're you're already a long way from that path. Oh, you mean in beam you have to care about arity. In like Haskell you don't because every function only yes. takes one argument. Even functions that look like they take five. But I take your point. It would be nice to be able to do some more partial application of stuff. It'd be interesting to see how you would do that and how you would make it ergonomic. I tried to sit down and come up with a syntax that I could build that would make it simple simpler that I could just make a library, maybe some macros or, or something. And I just couldn't come up with anything that I liked. I think that's the thing is the ergonomics of it are what is important. It's like you can have it, but if it's not ergonomic, then it's not any better to use it because you haven't improved anything just because you can like arbitrarily compose partial functions together doesn't mean that it looks nice or reads any better or conveys any more information to the end user at all. Basically, your idea is dumb. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> No, I, I think I think um, it would be really, really interesting to figure out a nice way to do that. Actually, does any of that witchcraft library support any of that stuff? I haven't long looked at that, but that seems like a thing that would be built into that. Well, I'm not sure. I, th- I mean, it, witchcraft is algebraic data types. But there's like a whole suite of libraries that they've built, right? They have, uh, was it algae, I think, which is implementations of algebraic data types witchcraft is like a toolbox for building algebraic data types i wanted to say that they had partial application stuff in there yeah that's worth looking into because if anybody's got it it's probably in that and, and and has it in like an ergonomically useful way it's probably that set of libraries there's some really neat stuff in that witchcraft and and it's and it's well designed from a user interface standpoint like it looks nice it reads it well. does it does look nice i've seen quite a few monad type libraries out there that i didn't think read very well but i think that the witchcraft one does and a lot of that is they've you know implemented operators and everything like that kind of all over the place speaking of the monad library um i think i i told you this on our chat the other day that i finally know you what wrapped yourself is. in the burrito yeah i didn't even realize that i i finally knew what it was but i suggested a maybe mode you were you were sitting there eating a burrito like, all of a sudden you smacked the cholula <laughs> out of somebody else's hands you're like wait a minute i've got it eat this burrito <laughs> hold the phone don't eat any more tacos your stuff just falls out put it in a burrito <laughs> i just imagine you sitting there eating like a burrito and you're like <laughs> I just have this whole mental picture in my head. Dude, have you ever really thought about these burritos, though? Like, it's like money, man. Like, what is money? Like, if you ever really looked at your hand, look at this burrito. It's like a monad. I, I, I never talked about it like a burrito. 
the person I was suggesting to use it to, it was very funny too, because I started telling him about it and was like, okay, so we just got this like types discussion. I was like, some types and product types. And, and then he's, he goes, you know, I have a master's in physics, right? Like I, I get what you're talking about. And then I brought up the maybe monad and he was like, well, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, cause I really think you could use a maybe monad here. And a lot of it was, I think that, you know, there's a lot of bare maps and tuples and stuff. And I think a lot of times if we sit back and think about our data and actually create well-formed data structures, that's where we started talking that the code could be a lot cleaner. Because what did Andrew say in chat the other day? Andrew Summers said, data is greater than functions and functions are greater than macros. And I, I kind of have a tendency to agree there. I think we can write a lot less code if we if we have the proper data and data abstractions. And so then I ran into a section and I was like, so we should put a maybe monad in here. I think it would help out a lot. And as soon as I said it, I thought, holy crap, I know what a monad is. <laughs> it turns out if you just osmosis that long enough, it does seep in eventually. I'm proud of you. I, I, you know, this is a this is a whole, this is a moment in time. The thing is, I get, I get hung up on looking at like the bind type signature and the fact that it has to be associative. And I just stare at that and stare at it. And I'm like, I don't... What? <laughs> I usually end up taking the type variables and real types in there. Like if I rewrite it and I say, okay, it takes a maybe of a string, then it's a lot easier for me to follow that when I'm looking at, it takes a monad of A and a function that takes a monad of A and returns a monad of B. Yeah, it's almost as though the types don't really convey anything meaningful about your domain or your problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Man, which means I should use more specific types. Yeah, you can you can infer from that whatever you want to infer from that. Type alias type aliases. Speaking of type variables, I also wish that we had type variables for our type specs. What do you mean? That would a type variable. Nice. What are you talking about? Oh, like uh um well let's go back to the maybe monad. What if I could do a maybe you can do that. A. Wait, what? Oh, I know that my at type can do that, but I can't use it in my at spec, correct? I can't say maybe of A. The spec actually has to say maybe string. It can't say maybe A. You can't have a type variable in your spec. I want you to explain to me how you would ever parameterize a, the type of a function like that, like a concrete function, other than just making it any. I know. I know. That's the problem. But the problem is, is that what you just asked for is nonsensical. <laughs> what I probably actually need is like a is like a sum type and pass that in instead of saying instead of saying maybe A, I need to say maybe my sum type. Because I know that everything under here can take in that one of those types. So some type for, for people who don't know is like a second like or like my type is integer or string. So some type is also another thing that osmosis in my head. So I started sound sounding more pompous. <laughs> <laughs> but to be clear, you can have a type that takes a, a different type as an argument. That's yes. a thing you yes, can do. Yes, I knew that. Just I, I know you know this, or at least you're pretending to now to save face. <laughs> no no it's just the it's the it's the spec part i was like man it would be really cool to say this function can take but then it's just any you're right at that point mm -hmm. it's just any so oh and if you could say that types meant that it implemented a specific behavior that yeah would be that would be interesting that would, that would definitely be interesting and instead of having to build your own some type of mm -hmm. everything that implements that mm -hmm. behavior mm -hmm. yeah that would definitely be interesting there might be a way to to actually jam that in there somehow if whenever you say that you implement a specific behavior or a protocol, it would have to be something that would change the, like your type would have to be the name of your behavior dot T and then everything, it would automatically have to go back through your code at compile time and look at everything that has that type and then generate that type signature as a sum type. 
might be pretty yeah yeah i don't know i can't i'm i'm not i'm not ready to invent a type algebra uh with the power of my voice (laughs) (laughs) all right so so what do you have i've talked enough i'll say um (laughs) this that's normally my job sir job security (laughs) i'm the one who talks too much on this show you're ripping me off. I got an interesting one, and then I got an easy one. Which one do you want? And then I got some wackadoo stuff here at the end. Let's go with the easy one so that we can just like yeah, get past move, it. Move along. And then go to the interesting one where we, so that we can get through more. I, so this, the easy one is I wish that um, the majority of functions on enum and stream took an identity function as a default function. So like you didn't, so like it was just identity was the default, which wouldn't work for all functions, but I think it would be super convenient. And useful for a lot of them. There are a lot of them that do, right? D- dedupe. I wish more did. I guess is what I'm. Some of them do. Some of them uh, don't. I, and I wish more of them did. And I, I think that there was a there was an old mailing list thread, but I couldn't find it. I didn't look that hard uh, about that, and it never took off. So that that might be something that I'd go work on. I don't know that there's a reason to not. Uh, maybe there is. There might there might definitely be, but uh, I haven't been able to think of one. Someone much smarter than me can analyze that pull, that pull request and let me know why why it's a bad idea. And yes, I get that you can do pretzel pretzel one, and that's the same thing as identity. But I don't know. I I think there's some power. It's it's actually pretzel pretzel one is is way more readable I, yeah, um, than yeah, I. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I think that would be a really useful thing. Yeah, I call. It, uh, I think there for a while I had. It in my head because of uh mats from ruby it was the lonely operator. what do you call the question mark because like because exclamation points bang what do you call the question mark crooked bang i've i've heard a before <laughs> is that is, is avdi calls it oh a is that too, I, I might i might have i don't i don't know i've called it a when it's like at the end of a function so instead of saying like uh uh is biggest mm-hmm. question mark i'll yeah. say biggest a exactly <laughs> but yeah the the pretzel i just Matt's, I think, called Lonely Operator because he said it looked like a, a little kid sitting down looking at the floor. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, look on, at it. Here. Let's, I'm, I'm trying this right now. Let's I'm find one. On. What font, though? I mean, that's the real question. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. That's like, that's like, like, like little, his leg. Like and little kid he's, hold, like he's, he's looking at his iPhone. He's crisscross applesauce. Look, <laughs> look no, at he's his got a, That's his arm. His arm. Or, or heart arm. That's their arm. That's that's their arm looking at a phone. That's amazing. Hang on, I gotta try this in San Francisco or whatever it is. Oh, it doesn't look nearly. I would never have gotten that from my terminal font. Uh, Fira Mono. I I don't know that I've seen Fira it's, Mono. Fira Mono Fira is code. what Fira Code is based off of. Fira Mono is the monospace version of Fira from Firefox or Mozilla, I should say. So so it has ligatures. Too. The ligatures are Fira Code only. Okay. I like the ligatures. They, whatever. Yeah, sure. Teach their own. After you get used to looking at them. I don't, I don't dig it, but it's, you know, it, I, I get the appeal. Yeah, it doesn't look right. Uh, doesn't look right with Fira, Fira Mono. Definitely. I wonder what Minlo looks like. So there you go. Everybody out there. I'm not Fira, calling it that from now on, but that is interesting. Don't don't like Fira Code, try Fira Mono. Or if you love ligatures and you're on Fira Mono, switch to Fira Code. And if you haven't tried either, check them out. Fonts, are, font, fonts, fonts are important. Pretty, Getting the right font. Uh, that's crucial. I'm not too obsessed with it, but every once in a while, I, I wait for other people to kind of curate that for me and suggest three or four of them. And when I get a bunch of new suggestions, then I'll go look at them and see if I like them better than the one I'm currently using. But I know people who spend hours digging through fonts to find the right one. And I, 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 I have more things to do, I guess. I'm looking at iTerm 2 like most of the day. So there's only 
there's a there's a very small wi- like window in which I can move to make that look nicer. There's just only so many things you can do to make ter- a, an actual right. 70s era technology look a little bit better. So you know it's a small window in terms of improvements <laughs> that you could make. So fonts is all basically font and and picking what version of Solarized Dark you like is the only choice that you really get to make. So I have to ask a question. Yes, you call her. About yes. your turn. Go ahead. Go ahead, call her. Transparent? No, no. Or not? What are you? What are you what are, what are, what okay. Are you, yeah. You, I don't you? like it either, but I've programmed with some people that Amos. like have a transparent console, and then they have a web page that's, behind no, it with text that, on it, and I just is, can't uh, read anything at that point. I'm like, <laughs> how do you? That's do this? that is some that like, is wackadoo. I've, I've, I don't. That's oh, yeah. that's total clown shoes. I had one guy tell me that you just have to focus your eyes at the right really? distance, and I was like, it's a <laughs> It's the same distance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. That that is terrifying. Yeah, it was like a you know, I don't know how old you are. Do you remember the uh, they just like a scrambled TV image, but it's like a 3D image if you look oh, at yeah. it. Your yeah, eyes I remember relaxed. those. They were in the mall. Yeah, uh, when I was a kid, <laughs> there's a store that sold those in the mall. That seems appropriate. It was across. It was across the way from the buckle. It's a schooner. It's not a schooner. It's a sailboat. I would stare at those things for far too long till they finally worked. There was all the tricks about you had to you had to cross your eyes. It was like people had just discovered computers and computers could make art, and they were like, "Look what we can do now. <laughs> this is gonna be the way of the future." <laughs> And then as soon as it would pop and you would be able to see it, you'd get excited and they'd disappear. Oh, no, it's like, gone! <laughs> <laughs> but I had it. I had it. The thing is, is you could also lie because <laughs> you'd yeah. be like, oh yeah. I see. It's like it's like going to a wine tasting, right? I just swirl the, I just swirl the wine around <laughs> the glass. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot happening in this glass. Do you just taste those notes? Look, just get the, oh, there's so many notes. <laughs> there's there's a lot of complexity, a lot happening in this class. That's how you could do with those pictures. You just look at the picture, like, oh yeah, it's amazing, it's beautiful. You're just meanwhile, you're just staring at like red and orange and yellow like blobs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I totally see the horse with the monkey on its back. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. It's yeah, intense. Man, this is. You brought up wine tasting, so I've got to tell you this story. You're gonna okay. You're at gonna some point, it. we have to pop the stack so... back down to elixir. But yes, go ahead. I'll allow it. Well, you, you you went to you went to school in Arkansas, so I was in um, something Springs, Arkansas, right up by the Missouri border. I can't think of it. Eureka Springs. Is that what it's called? And uh, we went to this winery there. I'm not going to name it. And went to a tasting, and it was one of those tastings that you have to pay for. I'm like whatever. So we we sit around this table, and there's another table of people that we don't know. Um, my wife and I are there with another couple that we do know, and this lady goes through all these these wines and they're all mediocre tasting like they're really not good right i mean sure you're at a winery in arkansas so yes not that i mean nothing against there's lots of there's lots of very nice things in arkansas you you got the you got the ozarks you know all that kind of stuff it's very very lovely um not known as the temperature to grow world-class wine grapes in well right but i i lived in a wine town in missouri and we actually had some pretty decent wines. Now there were a lot of wineries and a lot of different wines before you find decent ones, but there there were a few. So we get to one, and first of all, my friend is really way more into wine than me. So at some point, she says, "I love this when you put it in the refrigerator and get it cold to where it's almost frozen. That's when yeah. it's best." And it was like a red wine. He's like, "That's supposed to be kind of near room temperature, really." And then the last wine. Here's the thing that you're gonna think is funny. She talked. 
for five to ten minutes about how it's her favorite wine mm-hmm. ever. And then she pours a glass and we pick it up and you smell it and it smells like gray mm-hmm. water. And the people at the table next to us, I watched them, only one of them would even try it. And their face was like a grimace. And then everybody at my table poured it into my glass. And I tried it three times because I was convinced that there was, that something wasn't quite right. Like, like she's talking about how this is her favorite wine. It tasted like gray water too. <laughs> it's so gross. So Arkansas gray water nice. wine. It's her, her favorite. <laughs> well, you know, people, people like, people like what bottle. they like. <clears throat> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, you ready for my more wackadoo one? Yeah, yeah. My story was not near as funny if you weren't there. I mean, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, so, so here's the one that I think would be really interesting, and I don't think there's any way we'll ever get this. This is like, at minimum, like an Elixir 2 thing. Like, there's no way to do this, but it would be super interesting. I wish that keys in maps, you could use them as functions. So if you have a map and you have the key, you could arbitrarily use that key as a function. Like like you could say enum.map, the list of data structures, and then the function that you pass in is just the key. So so your list of data structures would be like a list of structs or yeah. maps, and you would pass in the key that yeah. you want to pull out and yes. nothing else. Yeah. Right, and I have no idea how you would make that work correctly with like string keys. You know, I, I, got, I, I, have, not, I have not solved the problems of what you would need to do to make that work in Elixir, but that's a thing that you can do in Clojure, and it's awesome. Uh, it's really, really convenient. I, I don't know how hard that would be, really. I mean, if you can match on the type, you, know, you put a guard clause in saying it's not a function, then you start, then you just create a function that that treats it as a map and use or anything that can handle yeah. access. Well, that right? so that's the thing is is like I think. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of questions I have about how you would do that. But the cool thing is, is then you could take all the access stuff like get in, put in, update in, which I don't know. I I don't actually see those used that often. I use those all the time, and I don't I don't see people. That's probably my own experience, but I don't see people use those a bunch. But they're great. But the cool thing then is that what you're passing into that isn't just like the path to wherever you want to go. It's functions, so you can compose them however you want. So get in can take functions in place of keys right but what i what i mean is at at that point you there's no this kind of goes back to your idea about like well if we could partially apply things that would be really cool or or like like compose functions like then you open up this ability to start like composing um, those pipelines as as functions because it's just a list of functions that you're composing together. Does that make sense? Like, because the keys themselves to like do access are just functions. Then you can pass them arbitrarily like around as functions and you can start to like get a little bit more power out of them. The inverse of this is also a thing you can do in Clojure, which is that you can pass a data structure as the function to a map. So if you're like mapping, let's say you have a, 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 a in our world, like a map of with um, string keys and those string keys, the values for all the string keys are numbers. You can do map and then pass, and then as the function, you can pass the data structure. So, so it's almost like being able to use what, like enum into, right? A little bit, except for like over a huge list of them. So, if I could have, if I could have enum into take in one map and give it another map that has a set of keys in it, and it automatically pulled out and populated just to that second map, right? Kinda. So, are you saying if I have a list that has maps that mm-hmm. have keys no, 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 A, no. B, and you don't C, have, you, you don't have a list of maps. You have a singular map and it has A, B, C, and D and A, B, C, and D correspond, like the values corresponding to those keys is a integer. Mm-hmm. You can do, in Elixir terms, you'd be able to do enum.map 
and then you pass the list in. And the list is the list of keys, which are, again, remember, functions. Functions themselves. So you would have a list of keys. So you would have a list of string A, B, C, and D. And then as the function you want to apply to that list, you could pass the map itself. The output would be um, just a list of the numbers, of the values. But because you can just pass the data structure as the function, uh, it opens up this ability to do a lot of interesting composition. Yeah, I bet. That's pretty cool. So it, it reminds me of uh, map.take, only the, the arguments are swapped. It's similar-ish, but yeah, it. But because you can sort of compose them arbitrarily, because they're just functions, it's a little bit different. So I don't know. I have no idea how you would make that work in Elixir, and it's not something that it's like. It's it's more an interesting thought to me of what would it what would Elixir look like if you could do that kind of stuff. That's and I have no idea how you would actually solve for that, but it's interesting. And then you have all these problems with atoms and whatever else. So that would that'd be a different. Yeah, that's where it gets it gets really hard because your maps can have all kinds of crazy keys. There's probably no realistic reasonable way to do it i'm gonna make a map where all my keys are functions <laughs> just pass anonymous <laughs> functions in as the key let me see what do i got on here what's good um i i i know that this will never happen at this point it doesn't seem like it'll ever happen i still really wish there was a compare a comparison protocol so that you could implement comparisons for any arbitrary data structures uh i don't know how to do that and make it work well with the beam and with elixir uh, but that would be interesting It'd be interesting to find a solution to that what else is here oh okay so here's a, here's a good one i really what i something i hope something i hope people do in the coming year i really hope that library authors start supporting telemetry and i know telemetry is still early and you know still being worked on and kind of baked but I really hope people adopt that as a standard uh, for doing metrics because at least for me we spend a very large amount of time trying to wrangle metrics out of all these libraries. Um, and it's very tricky and it's very difficult and, and it may not be important to everybody, but it's certainly very, very important to us. Like we have to have that kind of stuff. And so I would love it if more people were supporting, um, and telemetry is a good standard for that. So it'd be nice if people were supporting that as like a standard. Cause then it's like, you can just hook into that kind of stuff and, and be good to go. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be pretty happy with that. I think it's not just you metrics are, are really useful in tracking down issues or just seeing how users behave, all kinds of stuff. You can get lots of data, especially if, if you're a big data geek that likes to just sit in and look at spreadsheets and stuff and you can pull all of that stuff you can come up with just about every answer to any question you've got. Well, and I mean, we've talked about this before, but metrics are how you learn that there are problems with your system. You know, monitoring, looking at those metrics tells you that there are problems with your system. That's your first line of defense. No, exceptions are. And then, you know, all the rest of it, like logs, which I don't really believe in, but but other people like logs more than I do. You don't you don't believe in logs? I mean, I believe, I believe in them in the sense that, like, I believe that they are real things, but I don't believe in putting a bunch of time into them i hear you can put raft you can build rafts out of logs you can build a raft out of logs it turns out that's the only way to build a raft it turns out if your raft has no logs it's not a raft <laughs> ah i see <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting how that works you know tracing and other apm type stuff is all real like that observability kind of tools like if logs are a part of your observability that's really useful for you um then then keep you know, keep on keeping on. Uh, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop you, obviously. But that sort of tracing that observability is like the next the next stuff, which actually helps you diagnose why the thing is going wrong. But yeah, the getting just raw metrics out of a lot of the libraries that are out there would be very, very nice. So I hope to see people embrace that. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know about first, but sure. Do you have anything else? Should we end on platitudes here or, or other real things? This is more of a oh, gripe. Okay. I don't know. As, as much as of a wish, wish list. Um, I wished every time somebody called process.get and process.set, it would send them an email. Whoever whoever typed it should get an email that says, hey, this happened. So I think you know globals, for the most part, are a pain in any language. And then when you add globals to the process level in a language where, you know, sometimes when you're two modules down from a gen server, three modules, or you have a module that can be used in multiple processes, it's really hard to know what process.set process.get you're actually calling because they're they're global to the process, not global to your application. Or see, this is this is the the other thing with Erlang Elixir OTP that kills me. Not I don't mean your application, I mean your entire project. How about that? It's it's not global to your project, but sometimes people think it is. Or even if they mean to use it as the process, I would much rather you pass the data around. Otherwise, why would Gen Server pass the state in? They would just say, hey, we we've saved it to the process. Process dot set process dot get inside your gen servers. I really just wish everybody'd stop using it unless they have a really, really good reason and you should have to convince fifty people. Or receive an email. <laughs> <laughs> or receive an email every time it gets called by your system. See, that's not a big problem at all. I just, you know, set up some spam filtering and good to go. <laughs> but it sends from a different email oh, address yeah. uh-huh. and different subject line each time. You underestimate my ability to write <laughs> to write spam filters. <laughs> uh, the problem is it's always signed by Prince of Nigeria or some other random. Hey, you want to know? Nation. You want to know? You want you, you? Can I hit you with a life a life hack? Real quick. Yes. Uh, You can create a filter that filters out anything, any email that has the word unsubscribe in it and send it straight to spam. There you go. Life hack. The other one is when you get an email that has an unsubscribe link, go ahead and click it because you probably don't yeah, want it. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right. So my my actual last thing is actually something I'm I'm actively working on, and I'm working on it in, uh, with the help of uh, friends of friends of the show, uh, Jeff Wise and uh, Ben Marks. But we we've really been needing uh, a way to do dynamic runtime level configuration, um, and then also be able to have that configuration change live without having to like kick over the server or whatever and also but also without you know the other bit is like if you know let's say you're pulling let's say you're pulling you're, you're hitting system.getinv to pull an environment variable or something like that you don't want to do that in like the critical path of the request that's just giant like massively wasteful to do that right in the path of the request so we need a way to like store it but then live update it when environment variables change stuff like that and we're trying to build it in such a way that you could have those change based on changes and detected in etcd or vault or whatever so we're building this thing called vapor which i started a long time ago as like a thought experiment that is uh, and and that and we're putting a bunch of effort into that so that you can actually specify sort of dynamic configure app, application level configuration like this isn't this isn't going to handle a lot of stuff that distillery is really good at and you know, it's not going to replace a lot of things that are out there for people necessarily but uh it's definitely something interesting uh something we've needed for a long time so maybe people will check that out and we're gonna continue to do that and i hope that it's a way to help maybe more people move away from things uh, like application.getinv for all the things that's on my list of things to i guess that's more like it's not really a wish list but it's more like it's just a list list it's like on my to-do list so we're working on that hopefully people find that useful cool i think it would be useful i've been in a few places on projects um where I've overridden parts of the project 
so that I could do runtime configuration because there are almost every hex package out there is using compile time configuration. And it's sometimes you want it to be able to change at runtime, or if you have users that log in, you want them to be able to configure their own way of interacting with X service. Like maybe they use their own. Or you need to do failover or you need to change the URL of, you know, the downstream API that you're hitting or like hit a new load balancer or whatever. Like there's all kinds of these, these, there's these scenarios where you want to be able to dial that stuff in automatically. And the choices are basically you build it bespoke for yourself, which we've done in the past, or you hit the system for every request, which isn't good, or you have something universal that you can just tap into. And that's, that's the kind of goal that we're trying to do, which is what we're trying to achieve. Or redeploy just so you can change. Yeah, which is not, a, that's, that's not tenable. Come on now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, uh, I'm, I've made it through a third of the getting things done book. I'm on the book is, two. yeah, the book's really good. The, bu- the book is good. I really should probably concentrate on one book at a time so I can just Have you uh, one. read the rest of <laughs> purely functional data structures? How's that going? No. Nope. No, it's, it's, on, my, it's right. on the shelf because I thought I should read Getting Things Done first, but then I got sucked into f- four other that's books. The, that's the problem with things like Getting Things Done is you don't have have enough time to read it. Well, I'm I'm getting on it. I'm getting on it. I, I sat down and read almost all of Section 1 two nights ago before I got sick, or three nights ago before I got sick. It's it's In certain ways, it is not aged well, uh, but I think the core... The, the core the core premise is really good yeah it seems like the ideas so far are pretty applicable. yeah you probably don't need any of chapter one which effectively makes the argument that knowledge work is a thing and, and, and that knowledge <laughs> and that knowledge work, work is, different. is different yeah you probably don't need that chapter yeah you can probably skip that chapter i would say but uh but yeah, the book is the book's pretty good. So we have we have one last thing on the agenda. We have an agenda. First of all, wait a minute. We have an agenda. There's been a lot of shuck, there's been a lot of shucking and jiving in this in this episode. We're all over the place. It's been a long day. It's it's, it's still been early. a big week. This is, these are trying times right now. This agenda is put together at the last irresponsible moment. <laughs> it's so last minute that I don't I was unaware of its existence. Well, it just got created. <laughs> You know, we we hit a thousand followers on Twitter and the folks at Elixir Cards, you know, they have generously donated cards to give away and they actually ship it straight from them. So that's pretty awesome. We've we've shipped to two users so far, our thousandth follower on Twitter, jo- Joel, I think is his name. I, I'm not sure if I might be messing that up. Uh, it might be somebody completely different. And uh, Jeremy... Boggs from the show with Jose. So we've got to figure out how to give away another pack of cards because those Elixir cards are super awesome to have and and mess around with. So you want to pack. They're really good. They are really good. And if you can get a pack for free, like why not, right? They're super duper fun. But warning, you'll want to buy the rest of them once you have a pack. 